So, hello and welcome to this edition of ECHA's Podcasts. Today, we're talking with Mr. Bjorn Hansen, our Executive Director, about poly- and perfluoroalkyl substances, also known as PFAS. They're manufactured chemicals, widely used since the 1940s, to produce many different consumer products. Tests show, however, that they cause serious health effects such as cancer and liver damage. The good news is that the European Union is taking action to reduce their use. But where exactly are they used? What are the concerns? And what is the EU doing about them? Let's find out. Welcome, Bjorn. So, if we start, can you briefly explain what PFAS are? Um, I won't draw out the chemical formula. The important thing is that these substances have fluorine in it. They're generally seen as being toxic and they're very, very persistent. They have been found in many uh, samples of blood uh, in humans and in the environment. The substance is found to have some specific property that uh, is really desirable. In case of these chemistries and the first ones of them, they have anti-stick properties. And this was seen and is seen as a very desirable property. And that's why they went out and were used to start out with in smaller productions, for example, for, for Teflon uh, pans, but then started being used uh, much more broadly in, uh, in, in coats, for example, to ensure that the, the, coat, the water goes off the coat, on ties uh, in order for the ties not to stain if you spill your coffee on them, uh, all the way to, uh, to carpets and, and many other goods. So you mentioned a lot of these uses and you also mentioned that they can actually be found in people's blood, basically. We have them inside. Do you think you have it in your blood? I'm very certain, certain that I have it in my blood. I'm uh, way into my 50s. Uh, I've spent my childhood uh, exactly in the years when these uh, chemicals started being used. Um, I've traveled the world in, in industrial uh, countries, so I'm sure I've been exposed. And if you get exposed to these chemicals, you accumulate them in your body. So we've covered a little bit about what PFAS are. Um, what exactly is the issue? I mean, they accumulate, you mentioned that already, but what other kind of health effects are there? The chemicals themselves have three properties that are particularly uh, of concern. One is they're very, very persistent in the environment. This means that once they are emitted into the environment, they stay around for a very long time. That's why some people call them forever chemicals. Second thing is, once they're in the body, they tend to accumulate. That means that they tend to stay in the body for a very long time. And then they have a number of toxic effects, which go from reproductive effects over cancer to liver toxicity. How many PFAS are there? Scientists in laboratories have created over 4,000 of these chemicals. But this doesn't mean that these 4,000 chemicals are in use. Actually, in Europe, we anticipate or expect that there's around 2,000 which are in use, which is still many chemicals. And the large amount of those 2,000 which are in use in Europe are in use in very small volumes. This doesn't mean that it's not a problem, but it does mean that they are uh, used in volumes so low that the regulations we have are not very strong in their actual uh, use. And very few of them are used in more than one ton a year. That means that these very few of them, they come under the regulation of REACH. This are strong European regulation. And though for those chemicals, we know a lot more. And actually, 
quite a number of those substances which were used over a ton in Europe, we have banned or restricted. What about this idea of a cocktail effect? So it's fine that from I get exposed from my anti-stick uh, cookware, but what if I get exposed from that, my raincoat, plus a multitude of other products I might be using? Is there some kind of data um, behind to show that that might cause a bigger concern than just looking at individual uses? Absolutely. Um, what we expect, and that's exactly why we want to look at all the chemicals together, is that they have similar behavior in the environment, but also similar behavior in the body. And that means that whether it's one PFAS chemical or another, they will basically be adding up in, in the, to the toxicity in the body. That's one of the things we're worried about, and that's exactly why uh, we want to look at all the chemicals in one go to avoid that we're always running after the innovation in moving from substituting one chemical to the other and addressing all the chemicals which are on the market or even could come on the market in one go. Following up on this, this um, accumulation in the body and, and illnesses that they cause, is there any data available in the number of illnesses that PFAS cause in Europe? In terms of actual people getting sick from PFAS, we don't in, in the agency at the moment have such data. Um, there might be some out there, but we haven't, we've looked and haven't found any yet. But what is clear is that from the, the animal data on some of the chemicals that we have, there definitely is a concern that all of them may very well be having an impact on the European citizen. And that's why we need and will be taking action. What about the environmental effects? So forever chemicals, they persist. Can you compare them to, for example, plastics and microplastics? How do they affect wildlife? We talk a lot about you know, human health, but what about accumulation in food chains and, and into wildlife? There are many similarities, but there are also differences. Compared to microplastics, one of the differences is we actually know that these chemicals cause harm. We have the data that they cause harm in animal studies. And therefore, we expect there to be problems for human health, but also for environment. Where there are similarities is their persistence. Microplastics is a problem because once it's out in the, in, in the environment, it stays around for, 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 for centuries. And that's exactly also the problem with these chemicals. And once they're out there, they stay around. And you cannot clean up these chemicals. You can't, it's not like a contaminated site where you can take off the first two meters of soil and burn it, and then you've cleaned it up. No, they're everywhere. And, and you cannot pick up the microplastics, like you cannot pick up a PFAS chemical uh, and, and just s collect them. They're everywhere, in the bodies of people, in, the, in animals, and spread out in the environment. So you cannot clean up. So since they are everywhere, and there's a high likelihood that I have PFAS in my blood as well, is there anything aside from you know, avoiding to use products with PFAS uh, substances that I can do to reduce my levels? Indeed, that's one thing that you can do is that you can avoid uh, products, uh, buying products and having them in your household uh, that have, have uh, PFAS in them. And there, there are a number of European laws that enables you actually to, to make those choices. One of them is Ecolabel. Another one is, for example, in cosmetics, there is a, a law which says that all the ingredients in a cosmetic must be on the product, so you should be able to see it. 
but it's not so that this is comprehensive for all products yet. So one way of doing it is to inform. And there are quite some organizations which try to collect information, make it available to the citizen where these chemicals are used. We're collecting this information in order to prevent that these chemicals, if they're causing harm, uh, will simply not be used anymore. Okay. Um, now, we talked a little bit about this already, but in terms of safer alternatives to these chemicals, are there any? Can they be easily replaced, um, for example, in consumer products? At the moment, uh, we're collecting information to be able to answer that question correctly uh, as part of our, our normal work is to look at alternatives. So today, I can't say for certain that there are specific uses where there are safer alternatives or not. What I can say is that we must develop safer alternatives. And if we apply some of the um, uh, principles from, for example, green chemistry, then there is good guidance out there for those who want to produce alternatives in terms of what should they be looking for and how should they be looking for them. If we take a hyp hypothetical situation where I'm a company, I decide that I now want to replace with something safer, how can I be absolutely sure that what I'm replacing it with will be safer? And maybe even taking a step beyond that, how, not me making sure, but how do regulators, authorities make sure that the substance that I've chosen now to manufacture or purchase from a supplier and I put into these products is safer, really safer? How do we know that? We, we have a standard in, in, in Europe, uh, which is, comes from our regulation, which uh, sets out which tests uh, you need to perform as a manufacturer of a chemical in order to identify if there's a problem, but also to identify if there is none. And if you follow that standard with your alternative, then you can be reasonably sure that that substance will not cause harm. And you can be definitely sure with that palais of tests that it's better. If we go a bit more back to the EU and what we're doing here in, in Europe, um, I understand that PFOA and PFOS has been largely phased out. Um, what else is being done? We have already taken action uh, on a number of these chemicals, in particular on PFAS and PFOA. These are two of the most used compounds uh, in consumer uses. They have been heavily restricted uh, in Europe already. We are doing something on these chemicals. Uh, other chemicals, in particular, we're looking at the application of these chemicals in firefighting foams, which evidently ends up in the environment, um, and textiles. From the experience of looking at the uses of the two chemicals we have severely restricted, we see that these chemistries have a problem in them, the PFAS all in all. With the work that we're doing on textiles and on firefighting foams, we're seeing that there are more of those chemicals being used than the ones we've restricted. So we've decided um, to work on the whole group of all the PFAS chemistries, uh, up to the theoretically counted chemicals of over 4,000, and look at them as a group and look at all the uses. We at ICA will be working with a number of member states who will be doing a lot of the work in order to analyze, group them, and figure out where can we allow these chemicals still to be used and where do we re really need to ban them. 
if we go a little bit forward then to the numbers of PFAS, um, you mentioned that there's over 4,000. The OECD Global Database mentions there's 4,700, whether that's exact or not, I'm not sure. But uh, you said that there's around 2,300 on the European market or 2,000 on the European market. Um, do we have an exact number of that? Is there any way of actually knowing? There we do. Um, in terms of the OECD database, 4,700, uh, yes, there is an exact number. Um, and this is because one can actually count the types of molecules that have been synthesized in laboratories. And there is a, uh, a very neat way of figuring this out. Then on, for the European market, if you manufacture a PFAS chemical uh, and you consider it dangerous, uh, which a large part of these chemicals uh, are expected to be, then no matter what volume, you must notify it to the European Chemicals Agency. We get a notification on the fact that this is on the European market, even if it's 10 grams. So we do know it's around these 2,300 notifications we have gotten of the, these chemicals. Um, and we also know uh, that there are very few of them above a ton uh, that are actually being manufactured or imported as such into, uh, into Europe. So we have a good view of uh, how many there are, in which volumes they are. Where we don't have a good view is what are really the, 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 the uh, toxic effects? What about their persistence? What about their accumulation? Is it so that they all have the same uh, effects of concern? Or are some of them actually degradable? Are some of them actually not toxic? And that's what we're now looking into. But we're looking at all the chemicals in one go um, rather than doing them one by one. This whole idea of grouping them together um, hopefully brings speed to the process as well. So to the regulatory process, the more you do in bulk, the faster the results are. Um, I mean, from an ECA perspective, grouping them and doing the assessment is one thing, but what about then the actually the, the decision making after that? So say ECA proposes that these, these substances need to be either removed completely or restricted. How long will it take from that point to the point where they're actually off my anti-stick cookware? Anti cookware? We have uh, approximately, we will be using approximately uh, two years to develop what's called the dossier. That means the scientific assessment in order to identify which ones of these 4,000 chemicals or over 4,000 chemicals are problematic. Then there's about a year that it takes in order to get scientific agreement on the uh, assessment. Once that year is over, our work in ACAR is done. We create an opinion, which basically is an opinion about the risk of the substance, an opinion which in which talks about are there alternatives, and in particular safer alternatives, and also a, a, an opinion on what are the social and economic consequences of banning some of these chemicals. That goes to the Commission, and then the European Commission has three months to make a proposal in order to have a vote with the member states uh, on, on uh, restricting the use. Then from that day of the vote, there is some time, and that's uh, normally somewhere between one, two, sometimes three years. It can also be more depending on a number of factors, but uh, from, from which that use is banned in Europe. 
But basically, those are the steps. There's a scientific assessment, there's a policy decision, and then there's a transition time given to industry to remove the substances from their products. Member states get to vote on this ultimately. Is there any chance that an individual member state decides that, no, I don't want to be a part of this and goes their own way? Most of EU chemicals legislation, and in particular reach where we regulate, will be regulating uh, PFAS, is a regulation directly applicable to all EU member states in a harmonized way. So even if a member state votes against, if the measure gets adopted, it will apply to that member state. Then uh, if we move a little bit more into this international aspect, we've talked a lot about the uh, the European Union, but um, there's a, a movie coming out or has recently come out in certain parts of, of the world co- called Dark Waters, and it depicts uh, um, a slightly positive story towards the end, but a very grim picture at the start where uh, a large chemical company in the US basically got away with dumping uh, PFAS into the environment, um, so much so that they caused cancer and other diseases to the people living, living in those areas. Um, so it, after that, it took years, even decades, to uncover this and to bring them to at least some form of justice. From what I've understood, the process was long. It took this one lawyer who, who sacrificed basically his whole life to uh, ultimately sue them on a case-by-case basis from all the different people around that area that were affected, uh, fighting them individually. So I guess the main question is, can this happen in the European Union? Um, and what measures are there in place here compared to the US that prevents something like this from happening? Today, we have very strong regulation, which enables us, and that's what we're doing now, to ban those substances. And, and if that's the case for all the PFAS that they are of concern, we can ban them with a regulation and thereby remove them from the European uh, market. That, we, that there are situations, as in the film, where there are companies who are polluting so that citizens are hurt close by, that can theoretically happen. We do have rather strong enforcement of regulations. I don't think that that would be a, a standard scenario in today's Europe, what we see in, 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 in that film, due to the strong regulation, but also strong awareness of our own industry that producing substances which do not cause effect is their lifeline to the future compared to producing substances that cause negative effects. Can you talk a bit about this uh, notion of burden of proof? Because if I understood correctly, that's still quite a big difference between the two uh, legislations. So the, the US versus the European one, whereas here companies actually have to prove that a chemical is safe before they manufacture and put it on the market. And it's the other way around I understood in the US. So can you just explain a bit how that works? In Europe, uh, we have a system where the laws determine the boundaries of behavior of people, economic entities, uh, business. And in the chemicals world, the way it is, is you can put a chemical on the market if you can show that it's safe. And we as authorities check whether we agree with that assessment that a company does. And if we disagree, we, for example, have means to end up uh, restricting or banning that use if we disagree. The US system is very different. Um, you see, for example, that the whole liability system is drives much of the, the behavior of citizens, but also of, of, of companies in the US. We don't have that. And one of the reasons why we don't have that is because we have a different tradition. We make laws. 
we put the burden of proof on companies within those laws and we check it. So it's all structured within a legal framework. In the US, they rely very much on, on, on litigation, on liability uh, to correct behavior. Unfortunately, it's always after the fact because somebody has to get hurt first before the liability is kicked in. But of course, the threat of liability itself also uh, generates the behavior that one is looking for. We can create much more predictability for industry with our system, and I do think a much more comprehensive system of safety.